You're listening to the Central Station Podcast, where we bring you true stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. In our last episode, Gary Riggs shared yarns from his early days growing up on cattle stations in the 60s and 70s. This episode is part two of that conversation, and let's just say I was not expecting to hear about lions or UFOs, but as we heard in part one, Gary's childhood was anything but ordinary. I'll be heading out to Lakefield Station over the wet season to record more of Gary's story, so stay tuned for more episodes. To start this episode though, Gary recalled just one of the times he's been bitten by a snake. Bill Bright left Galway and he went back to Robinson River and he bought Robinson River. And uh, and Dad and Mum went up there to give man for a little while, but they didn't stay there long because they, they couldn't afford to pay anyone. And so Dad went back there to give man to do a little bit. I, I think we were only there about six months. And uh, and then he went back to Middle Park. That's where I was bitten by a king brown snake there. Uh, we'd gone fishing up in the gorge at, on the Woolgar River. And uh, we pulled up at this water. I was going to catch brim and that there. But uh, I was a half my brother and myself were excited and we jumped out. I only had a pair of Chinese riding bed on and and I took off in the grass and I only went from here to that car there, 10 metres, if that, and uh, I felt this thing clamp onto my little toe and and uh, felt the sting and I leaped in the air and yak-eyed and kicked and this snake went flying across the, across the flat and uh, it was a big snake too. It was good six foot long and uh, anyway, it, Sailed across the area, and, and uh, I come running back to the ute to mum and dad, and I said, "Mum, I've been bitten by a snake. Where, where?" And they looked, and it was on the top of my little toe, and that's that hard bony part, and the fang, fangs hit on top of the toe like that, and most of the venom went down the side of the on my toe, and it all run down the side. Oh, like on the outside? Outside. Oh, and because it was a bony part, the fangs didn't go right in. They just sort of broke the skin. Probably, I don't know, three mil or something like that, or two mil into my into my toe. And uh, and first thing mum did was pull my belt off and put a tourniquet on my leg. And uh, we had to go back 18 mile to a, a, a prospector had a, a mine there on the side of the river. and. Went back to him and uh, and said, oh, we've got a snake bite and you got any Condi's crystals? And he said, yeah, yeah, i got Condi's crystals. And for they kept it for that reason, snake bite, um, because most people that get bitten by a snake will work alone and so they can't suck the blood out. Mm-hmm. And mum didn't want to suck the blood out because she had a bad tooth. So she wouldn't suck the blood out. And uh, so... She washed it and then cut it with a razor blade and filled it up with Condi's crystals. Is that what's these crystals? Is that like Epsom salts or a purple looking thing? Oh. I don't know. What Can it, you still get them these days? Well, I don't think so. Oh. Uh, 
but I just remember it's imprinted in my brain. It was Condi's crystals. And uh, anyway, she she yeah, she cut it, and then we drove another fifteen mile or something back to the homestead, and. Uh, Dad put a mattress on the back of the yet, but Mum was very conscious that she had to let the tornado go every 20 minutes and let the blood flow through. And uh, I just learned and when it again. first happened, I wasn't, I wasn't feeling nothing. But in the once he put a mattress in, and I got laying in the back, and then Mum was sitting in the back with me, and all the rest of the kids were in the front. Dad, and so we're heading, and, and there were three others. There, there was Stephen, Roslyn, and and Jenny, and uh, they were all sitting in the front. And we're heading to, to Richmond, and uh, it had been raining, and so there was a few pot of bog holes to to negotiate. And uh, and every twenty minutes, and towards the latest part of that, where you let them go, it was it was probably a three hour drive, and. Uh, Towards the end of that, I was starting to get chest pain because there was obviously something going on. But then they put me in hospital. Uh, but because mum had washed it, cleaned it, and put Condi's crystal on it, they couldn't establish what type of snake it was. With only by the description that we had, uh, that dad killed it, but he left it behind, didn't bring it with him. And uh, so... To his description, it was a brown snake. And um, so spent a week in hospital, and I didn't tell him that I was getting chest pain the whole time I was there. And uh, and I, I didn't want to be in hospital, full stop. Is that why you didn't tell them? You, you That's were why hoping I didn't that. Tell them, yeah. <laughs> Gary. And then when mum came to pick me up, we got in the car. And we're driving off, and I said, she said, how are you going? I said, oh, yeah, good, but I get a bit of chest pain every now and then. <laughs> Back to the hospital. <laughs> Tell the doctor, oh, you do another week. <laughs> so they yeah, they uh, monitored me for another week, so I was two weeks in hospital there. That was my second stint in that hospital. I had appendicitis in there too and had a bit of time there for that mongrel thing. You really have yeah. been through the wars, mate. Like- so... Yeah. So it's still mid teens, like. Yeah, this is, I was very young. Mm-hmm. I was early. That was when I was, appendicitis was when I was about nine. I was 10. But then, yeah, when I got bit by a snake, I was 14. Uh, midway through 14 or towards the end of 14. And then, uh, in 70, mid 75, that's when dad, the same, same thing, the meat slump. And they couldn't afford to pay people, managers anyway. So they just put a stockman in in looking after places. So they paid bugger all wages mm-hmm. and things like that. And so Dad ended up getting a manager's job on a little place because Rosedale had it was a sheep cattle property at uh, Julia Creek, south of Julia Creek. And then I got a job, part time job in insurance as a rouseabout. And uh, yeah, I was doing that. And then I was a strong kid, so I learned fairly quickly to get on a wool press and uh, made a lot more money on the wool press. And so I did that. And yeah, and then in 70, early 76, he, he got a 
got a job to go to Kalanyata in West Australia, in the Kimberleys. And uh, so we arrived up there in probably April, May, 76. And that, but I do remember we were in Mount Isa when Colf Whitlam was sacked. We were camped there that, for a couple of days and then they'll remember that part. So, yeah, whenever that was, that's when we headed over there. First of all, I went to Kalmanyata and, and I worked for Dad for a bit and then I went to Allendale and worked there then went to Bliner and, and I spent most of my time on Bliner with working for a manager called Dick Smith and the head stockman was the toughest head stockman but the smartest, one of the smartest head stockmen I've ever run into and his name was Ross Hardy and uh, he was a very, very smart cattle man, very bad piss wreck though, uh, which is a shame. At, uh, but when he was dry, he he was very very cluey, and um, and I had a lot of time for him, and I learned a lot from him. Uh, I do remember one instance where he knocked me off my horse, backhanded me, and um, and I said, "What did I do wrong?" And he waited till I got up, and he said, "You did this wrong." And I said, don't ever do it again. I said, mate, you got every hand. I won't do it again. <laughs> what was it that you did? Do you oh, remember? I did some bloody thing. I was in the wrong spot when I was chasing some cattle or something. Gee. Anyway, he, he just rode up to me and went, fuck. I me off the horse. I went, got up and shaking my head. And, uh, yeah, I never did that again. But I still had respect for that bloke, eh? Hey? Yeah. But he told me what I did wrong. Yeah, fair enough. So I you, guess. Came, you had people that, go crooked you and they don't tell you what you did wrong, um, Yeah, that's the worst thing. That's yeah, because you don't thing. know how to fix it then. Like, you don't know what you did wrong. Not and how you to. Got, and then you, the rest of the day you're sulking because you don't know why. you got a smack in the mouth. Yeah, and you don't know if you're going to do it again and get another one. Like. It'll boot up the arse, you know. And, uh, yeah, so I worked for them and, and until, until uh, yeah, we got left in the camp with no vehicles. Uh, we run out of Tucker and we were right out on the meter boundary and uh, a meter boundary or KD boundary, I think it was. Talking of the funny, funniest thing there at Wolfhead Park. That's where I was first owned by a cow there. And uh, in the dust and we were yarding up. It was a terrible, terrible area to put cattle on a truck. You had a V in on the corner on one side of the yard and, you, and the race, you had a V and the race, went up to the loading ramp like that and you used to have to, a big yard and you had to get the cattle out of that big yard into that little V and to get them on the truck. And uh, anyway, there's, in the dust, we're loading fat cows going to broom meatworks. And uh, this mongrel old cow come out of the dust and I was right there and she hooked me like that and hit me across here and tore the shirt off my back across the front and I had this big horn burn right across my guts and oh, did that hurt. So, yeah, that, that was the first time I got scratched by a cow. But we were riding out of there one day and we'd gone out across the highway and we are going up and, uh, no, we walked cattle away, that's right. And uh, we, had, we put them up, well, we and we put them up in this island paddock, paddock or whatever it was, and we're riding back and we're not far from the, oh, we were a little way. We're probably a couple of 500 metres from the highway and horses just started acting up big time. I just could not believe these horses were just 
everyone, there was about eight or nine of us riding horses, and they just, every horse had lost the, lost the plot. I think, what the hell's going on? And we, we um, kept moving and flogging these horses to get them to go forward, and they wouldn't go forward. Anyway, they were snorting and, you know, big snorts and stomping the ground and shit like that. And anyway, we eventually, we sort of went to the side a little bit and we kept going. And then we got to the bitch and there's this trailer with a big crate on it. And by this time, the horses are sort of starting to get a bit used to it. And, uh, you know, you got a bit closer to this thing and there's a, a crate full of lions. <laughs> Fucking lions. In the Kimberley. In the Kimberleys. It was a circus and the oh. truck had broken down. Oh, my God. And all these lions are sitting in this in this big trailer with a stock, you know, just a fully enclosed cage trailer where they go from one one bloody circus to the next circus town, you know. Jeez. <laughs> so then we realised Horses don't like lions. Fair enough. <laughs> there was about yep. six or eight lions in there. there was, they were all just laying there, and they didn't take any notice of us whatsoever. <laughs> Eventually, we took the horses down, and we all got in the car and come back and had a look at the lions. <laughs> <laughs> God, the horses are probably having, like, flashbacks from their ancestors in, like, Africa or oh, something. Well, they, like, knew, they knew there was something, something. a major predator there. Wow. Right? And because uh, they never would have seen a lion no, before. Well, that's I'm right. I've never seen wow. a bloody lion. <laughs> Gosh, you know, they always say, like, you never know what you're going to see when you're out bush, but don't know if I would have pegged a lion. No, well, that was lucky they were in a cage. <laughs> at, uh, but, yeah, that, that was interesting. And uh, But, yeah, before that, at, uh, at Calignado, I, I missed this one, but my dad was there and, and my brother and myself, we both worked there. Well, brother and was doing school, uh, school of the air, and, Rosalind went to school in Derby and Janny was doing school there. And uh, we used to go, yeah, mustering all the time there, going down around all the all the paddocks, mustering cattle with Dad. And, and we were doing it. Yeah, we were bigger people then and so we were quite capable of what we were doing. And uh, anyway, we had one cattle yard at uh, Wapit Boar. Whoppet Boar was a uh, a big borehole for oil, and uh, but it was flowing with water. And anyway, we'd been mustering coaches and uh, coach mustering. We got about three hundred thousand calves and a few bits and pieces and a couple of scrub balls and stuff. And we'd watered them up on that dam, and that dam was out on right at one end of a big black soil plain, and down the other end was the cattle and. Uh, so we'd watered them there, then took them down and we're yarding up and it's just on dark. And anyway, this bull ran away. And we were in the horse paddock when he ran away. And so we we yarded up and I said to this old Aboriginal stockman, I said, we'll go and get that bull. Anyway, away we went. We found him. He was in just, it was dark or pretty dark. You know, we could still see him. Anyway, I jumped off and I tied him up. Anyway, my horse pissed off and I pulled the runner rein, but the runner rein broke and the horse slipped off. And anyway, that old Aboriginal stockman, he went looking for my horse. And I walked back to the truck, to the yards where the truck was. 
And uh, my dad, an uncle, two more Aboriginal stockmen, and another mate, old Milky, was um, during the ute. And uncle and dad were in the front of the ute, and the other three were on the back. But my brother, he went looking for my horse, and he had another Aboriginal stockman with him. And they both, there were three of them out there looking for my horse in the horse paddock to get me saddled back. And when I walked back to the car, and by this time it's getting about 8 o'clock at night, and I'm sitting in the in the front of the motor car, the truck, horse truck I was, I'm just sitting there and I'm daydreaming about things, me losing my horse. And, and all the cattle, cows and calves were all bellowing and tearing on and making shitload of noise like they normally would do when the when the uh, yeah when they first put in the yard. Anyway, they went dead silent. Nothing, no sounds. I thought, what's going on? I said, it's a dingo. And um, anyway, I'm looking. And then the light started to change from dark, black dark, to a really sharp, dull sort of a, a, a blue light that you could actually see. You see trees and see things, but everything was blue coloured. And uh, I'm thinking, what the hell's going on? Anyway, my brother and the two Aboriginal stockmen, they seen it and they were on horseback. And they're looking at it too. And then the, the three people on the motor car seen it too, but not the ones in the front because they had the headlights and they couldn't see it because oh. of the headlights. And anyway, the th- three on the black back are looking around with this blue light. And uh, anyway, that blue light was there. Then there was this slight noise. And I thought, what the hell is that? I got out of the motor car and I looked up and there's this thing that was, I don't know, probably from here to that container over there long. And it wouldn't have been no more than three or 400 foot up above us. And it was about, I don't know, 20 metres wide, I reckon. And it was sort of a bit oval shaped and had lights. Lights on it, but, you know, things that you just wouldn't, couldn't explain, you know. Anyway, I'm looking at it, and I thought, oh, shit, what am I going to do? And I thought, I didn't even know this bastard thing got there. How am I going to run away from it? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm thinking, I'll just sit here and watch it. And then all of a sudden, it just that light just turned to a flash, blue flash and light, a blue flash, and it went. And then the brother come galloping in with them two old Aboriginal stockmen, and they were gone white. <laughs> and they said, you see that? You see that? And I said, yeah, shit, yeah, we've seen that. <laughs> we, were UFOs a thing back in those days? Like was that something people had heard of back then? Like is that what you think it was? I had no idea what it was but- at, at the time. And I thought it's something from up there. Yeah. And the cattle knew it was something bad. Yeah, it was something unusual because they stopped making noises. And that's the thing that alerted me. And then when the brother come in with these two workers, they were the same. And now Blackwellers, they just said, hey, boogeyman, boogeyman. <laughs> <laughs> and then when the, the, the motor car there, we run up to them and said, oh, you see that? And they, the blokes on the back seen it, but the fellas in the front didn't see it. And God, they're probably spewing. So we were just, yeah, probably shitting ourselves. I think. Anyway, we got in the truck and... And we were heading home. We loaded our horses and 
we're out of there and we're driving up this plane where this dam wall was and uh, this light come out, it come out of the timber on the road and then come through where the gate was and then went through the gate and then come up onto the the dam wall and drove all the way around the dam wall like that and disappeared. So we thought, well, Mum, she's sitting up there waiting for us because we're late. Mm. And we drove up there to the dam to where the motor car we thought it was mm. and there's nothing there and there was no tracks. And then we're, we're, That's we're out of here. We're probably out of here now. And anyway, went home and next day on the ABC radio, there was UFO sightings all up and down <gasps> the west coast of WA. <laughs> That's cool. And that scared the living crap out of me. That so, is not a story I was expecting to hear today <laughs> at all, ever. Uh, yeah, that was, that was interesting. And it was a, yeah, it was a thing that moved very fast when yeah. it did take off and I didn't even hear it come. Yeah. And it, it moved so damn fast, but it, no noise when it moved. It just moved and, and, but a light, a flashing light. Like, so that yeah. is one hell of a yarn. And I'm wondering, if on that note, that's where we we wrap up this episode because I don't know I don't know where you go from there. Jeez, but I know I've taken up a lot of your time today, and there's so much more. Like this is just the start of your time in the Kimberley, isn't it? Because after mm. that, I don't want to give too much away for people. But let's just say that um, you weren't done with trying to test out your nine lives or your ninety lives by this point. Really, <laughs> we added up all the bites and the breaks and the motor car accidents. Um, we've got some an aerial moment happening probably in the next episode like yeah there's a fair few more there oh yeah that'll be in the next, next yeah. Episode, yeah yeah um yeah i might we might might pick up on the next episode there if that's all right um because yep. that is wow i don't know if i've ever had so many yarns jam-packed into one episode like this has just been so great <laughs> God, and i love your memory that you can like i can barely remember what i did like three years ago so yeah when i when i started writing my book I, I started doing that when i was getting radiation treatment yeah in darwin and um i sort of i always wanted to do it you know and uh but I just never got the chance. And while I had seven weeks of doing nothing, sitting on my butt yeah. in a hostel, well, a hostel and, um, and driving to and fro and sitting in waiting rooms and things like that, I got a, I bought a recorder and that didn't work because uh, I was too um and ah and all the time. But I found and just a writing pad like that was better because I could take it anywhere. Yeah. I didn't have the flat batteries. I didn't have anything like that. And I could just then pull it out any time and start writing. Mm-hmm. And I know if I was sitting in a waiting room, I bought a computer and a, a printer and I put the, set that up in my room. When I was in the room, I used to type and tell me yarn on through that. And but when I was away, I used to pick different stages of the, of where I was at and what I was doing, yeah. and I was I would write that information, and so I'd be sitting in a waiting room and I could write twenty pages, just and once I started the first couple of pages, my mind went back to that time, and everything was free as. That's and, I'm quite envious of that. So I, I I just kept doing that sort of thing and. So yeah, I ended up. I did a, did a lot and so, and I found out that I could write when I was driving. 
<laughs> I made a clipboard up it, oh clipped my onto God. my leg, and I could sit there and I could start writing. It was fairly rough writing. Yeah. It would be a – but most of the times it was following lines. Yeah. And I could write because I used to remember a lot of things driving along. I need to take you note of what your motor car looks like so if I see you on the road, I'll just kind of pull off for a so while. I used to jot down stuff all the time. So mm. I'd have things to go back to. And, uh, yeah. Well, I dare say after listening to this, you know, just part one of this, there's going to be a fair, fair few people pretty keen for the book to come out. So you might have to make yeah, it yeah, like one I, of the I books. Just is... gotta make time and finish it. Yeah. Finish all of them. I'm sure we could get a petition going. Some peer and, pressure. Or if I could get someone to write it, yeah. that'd be even better. I can't wait to come back and I don't know how many parts this is going to turn into because like I said before we started recording, I didn't want to smush it all into one episode and not let, you know, these stories come out and, and explore them as, you know, as we have been. Um, I, um, yeah, thank you for your time and looking forward to heading out again, hopefully see a bit more rain on the road and yeah, yeah. sit out here in this beautiful, cool weather for November. Yeah, this is it, amazing. It's a lot better today. This is really nice. The forecasted rain for this afternoon. Yeah. So, yeah. There you go. I feel like that's the perfect timing of the, of the universe, the car starting up to- to wrap up so we'll see you on the podcast again soon no worries all good